Well, grace and peace to you all from our triune God. Amen. We're going to do things a little bit differently. I figured uh, we would tell the story uh, from Acts 9, 1 through 19 instead of reading it today. So Saul is relentlessly pursuing the followers of Christ. He's received this blessing from the high priest in Jerusalem to bring back um, followers of Christ in chains to Jerusalem. And he's got the letters to prove it. So he's on the road uh, to Damascus with those letters in hand. Um, And as Saul and his companions are nearing Damascus, all of a sudden, a bright light erupts all around them and Saul collapses to the ground and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? And Saul replies, who are you? Who are you, Lord? He's confused. He doesn't know who this voice is. And the response comes, I'm Jesus whom you're harassing. Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told there what you're to do. And Saul's companions were speechless at this. They had heard the voice, but they hadn't seen anything. And so they helped Saul up, this blinded Saul, off the road and led him by the hand into the city of Damascus in Syria. There Saul stayed for the next three days, blind and without eating anything or drinking anything. And then somewhere else in the city, there's a man by the name of Ananias. And he's a disciple of Christ. He's a faithful follower. And Jesus appears to him in a vision. And he tells Ananias this. He tells him that Saul is in this house um, and I've told him, he's seen in a vision that you are going to come to him and lay your hands on him and heal him. And Ananias puts, this, puts the brakes on this whole exchange. Whoa, 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 Jesus. I, I don't know about this. Uh, I've heard what this guy has done. People are saying he's done horrible things to your people in Jerusalem. And you know that he's here with the authority of the high priest to bring back your followers in chains to Jerusalem, right? And Jesus simply replies to Ananias, Go, Saul is the one that I've chosen to take my name before the Gentiles, before kings and the Israelites. I will show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. So Ananias gets up and he goes to the house. He places his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus sent me to you. Jesus, whom you, who appeared to you on your way here, he sent me to restore your sight by his name. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he was able to see again. And then Saul was baptized into the faith and he ate, and he regained his strength. Now, we all have call stories uh, of of some sort, and stories that have dramatically changed our own lives. I'm sure you all have at least one, if not more. But this 
isn't a call story in most senses of that phrase uh, for either Saul or for Ananias. Um, Though I think that there's something pretty remarkable going on in this passage. Saul has a personal encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and it transforms this, this fervent persecutor of the church into one of its greatest evangelists and missionaries. Saul went from looking on to the martyrdom of Stephen approvingly to doing great things in the name of the church and of Christ himself. This transformational encounter is absolutely awe-inspiring, right? So awe-inspiring and unique that Luke recounts it three times in his uh, writings. Saul, under his new name Paul, becomes a household name. You all have heard of Paul before, right? All right. How many people have heard of Ananias before? Okay, not as many, right? Ananias isn't this household name. But I think that maybe we should take a deeper look at Ananias today. We don't know much about him. Um, He's not the same Ananias that we encounter a few chapters before, uh, who tried to lie to God and the apostles and wound up dead along with his wife. It's a different Ananias altogether. Um, But what we do know is this. He's a faithful disciple of Christ who's living in Damascus, and he answered Jesus' call when it came. That's what we know. Despite his protests of who Saul was and of what he was in Damascus to do, Ananias goes forth for Christ to heal Saul and to welcome him into the family of God the family of Christ. Ananias was a risk taker and he was obedient to whatever Christ called him to do. Whatever the cost may have been. He didn't know what was waiting on him on the other side of that door, did he? There's no incredible conversion story recorded for Ananias. And we're only told briefly that he was a disciple in Damascus, chosen by Christ to bring healing and wholeness to Saul. And then he disappears from the pages of Scripture. That's all we get. Now, I think that as I look at it, my own story resembles that of Ananias far more than it resembles Paul's or Saul's. Because I can't remember a time that I wasn't Christian. I mean, there was a time when I really struggled with what I actually believed about Christ when I first began college, but even at that time, I would have described myself as a Christian. My parents had me baptized as an infant at the First United Church of Christ um, in New Philadelphia, and then after a while, we transferred our membership to New Philly First United Methodist Church. Uh, And there they faithfully took me to to youth group and all the practices that were involved in uh, the music ministry that I was involved with. And, of course, they had me in church most Sundays. We all have dreams, though, about what 
life will be like when we're kids. Do you guys remember having dreams when you were a kid about what life was going to hold for you? The future just seems so wide open. The, the possibilities are endless when we're a kid. And we're often asked, asked what do you want to be when you grow up? That's the default question to ask a young child, isn't it? What are your dreams? What do you want to be when you grow up? So as a kid, I wanted to be a lot of different things when I grew up. There was a time where I was always in a firefighter costume. I was going to be a firefighter. Uh, I also wanted to be an archaeologist and dig up dinosaur bones. I wanted to be an astronaut and go into space. There was also a time that I wanted to be Batman. <laughs> I've even got my Batman socks on because I'm an adult. Um, I'm not saying that I am Batman, but I will say this. No one has ever seen me and Batman in a room together. <laughs> Finally, in middle school and in high school, I uh, decided I was going to be a musician. I was, in high school, I thought I was going to be in a rock band and be famous, but in college, I studied music. I, I was going to be a music history professor uh, because I'm also a nerd. Um, but, so I spent the next decade or so of my life, after that decision, pursuing music. And all told, I did spend about 18 years preparing for a future in music. I started playing piano when I was six, and I just kept adding instruments and experience on, uh, along the way. And then after returning to Ohio, after a bad first semester in Lowell, Massachusetts, I had a tug-of-war match with God. Spoiler alert, I didn't win. Uh, I still had it in my head that I was going to be a professional musician, um, despite the fact that I was in a pre-seminary program at Ashton University, and I uh, was a religion minor. I still was running from my call. Um, I was continuing to try to hide from God in some ways. So I graduated from AU with a degree in music, with an emphasis in music history, and moved down to Cincinnati, where I made it through half of a two-year program uh, in music history at the College Conservatory of Music at UC, before the Lutheran pastor at the church I was attending down there strongly encouraged me to start looking at seminary. So this relative stranger recognized something in me that I was really running from and that I really wish that she hadn't at the time. Um, and that was that it was a future full of uncertainty and, and challenge and potentially even danger if you read the early church writings. She recognized something in me that I was hoping to hide from and ignore myself. Needless to say, I'm, I'm now here before you after serving a rural two-point charge in Cardington, Ohio, followed by a couple of years pastoring the people of Oak Chapel United Methodist Church over in Worcester. And so Bishop Malone has seen something in me along with cabinet that made them appoint me to be pastor here. And I'm so happy to be here at Aldersgate with all of you. Now, I think that it goes without saying that it takes a village to do most things, to, to raise a child, to live a whole, complete life 
And yes, to be the church, we need everyone. As a pastor here at Aldersgate, I'm here to help equip you all, to equip you to do the work before us as the church in this time and in this place. The difficult work of evangelism, of discipleship and mission, of reaching people in the name of Christ and ministering to them in mind, body, and spirit. Now, I'll be right beside you um, in that work, but it's all of our responsibility together, despite the fact that I'm here in a robe in front of you. Um, So I want you to think about this. How many people outside of our church doors are just waiting for somebody to invite them to come along with them to church? How many people in your lives are just waiting for an invitation to come along with you wherever it is you go on Sunday mornings, right? And how many people are out there that simply won't come into a church because they've been hurt by the church in the past or they have a misunderstanding of what the church is about? How many people are out there who won't darken our doors? Reaching the people of the community, of our community, might take some creativity and probably a ton of trust in God. But I think that we've got a great motley crew of saints here that are ready to do just that. We've got folks who are gifted to do a variety of different things. And we need each and everyone's gifts to fulfill the mission that Christ puts before us. Jesus needs all hands on deck to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of our world. Now, as I said goodbye the last time I preached at Oak Chapel before packing up all of the uh, remaining things and moving here, I asked them a question that I'm going to ask you all now, all right? Why are we here? Why are you in these pews faithfully each Sunday? What is it that brings you to the font and to the table to be a part of God's family, to be welcomed as a brother or sister in Christ, just as Ananias welcomed Saul? Why are we here? And why are we here as a church community? Why is Aldersgate United Methodist Church in this time and in this place here? What is God calling us to right now? Maybe it's to be a Paul. Are we to bring people to faith in Christ? Are we to bring a faith in Christ to a world that has forgotten him? if they ever knew him in the first place? Are we to be those great evangelists? Or is it to be Ananias? Are we called to be the faithful that help bring wholeness to a broken community and world, even if it's just one person at a time? Are we to be the people that welcome those that others would be suspicious of into the family? Why are we here? 
Now, like most things, Wesleyan, it probably is both most times, isn't it? I'm just beginning my time here, but uh, I look forward to being with you all as we figure out the answer to these questions. Why are we here? Now, I hope that you'll join me in the joyful life-giving work that we're called to, because after all, God needs all hands on deck. Amen? Amen. Amen.